Happy Easter, everybody, and welcome to the hills. I am thrilled you're spending part of the day with us. I began with one of my favorite stories of the four older women playing cards in the lobby of a retirement center when a stately elderly man came and stood at the counter. One woman said, what are you doing here? And he replied, I'm going to move in and live here. The second woman said, where do you come from? He said, well, if you must know, I've spent the last 17 years in prison. A third woman said, why were you in prison? Again, if you must know, I murdered my wife. And the fourth woman said, so you're saying you're single. Okay, I don't care how many times you've heard that joke. That's funny. <laughs> and it communicates something that is very true. We're all desperate for hope. And maybe now more than ever. Okay, let's just get something on the table. This Easter feels weird. And when I realized that my favorite Sunday of the year, the one I look forward to more than any other, where I get to preach good news to so many people gathered together, was going to be taken away. I was disappointed. I did not want to talk about the empty tomb to an empty room. But then I remembered the very first Easter was celebrated in a home among people that were locked in and full of fear. See, the important thing is not where you hear the news. The important thing is where you look after you've heard it. Because Easter is a call to get our hopes up. Because here's the thing. What we're going through is not new for the people of God. Holding on to hope has always been a struggle. Uh, so there's a story of the life of Jesus called the Gospel of Luke. And toward the end... There are two people on the road. It's a couple of days after he's been crucified. And they're talking and Jesus appears and they don't know it's Jesus. He says, what are you talking about? And they say, haven't you heard? And they begin to tell the whole story of how disappointed they are. And they say this, look at this verse. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Look at those three words. We had hoped every one of us has been on the we had hoped road some of us are on it right now because of this pandemic you had hoped to walk across the stage and graduate with all of your family and friends watching you had hoped to attend that wedding you'd hoped to have that wedding you had hoped to take that trip you and your mate have been planning for years and I know that you can still thrive as a person without those things but they hurt those are real losses and we grieve them and for some it's even deeper you had hoped that you would be able to keep your job uh, you had hoped that when you graduated it wouldn't be so hard to find a job you had hoped that you would be able to leave your job and finally retire and now you can't and I know I'm talking to some people and you have wounds in your life that were before the pandemic and will exist after. Because you had hoped that your marriage would last. You had hoped that your cancer wouldn't last. You had hoped that your child would finally get sober or come back to God at last. So here's the thing. Nothing is sadder than hope. In the past tense. 
And I think what this pandemic has done is caused many people to realize that their hope is in the past tense. I think what this pandemic has especially done is shown the fragility of hope for those that worship in the temple of secularism. Because what is the hope of life without God? It is that the world is evolving in the direction of the elimination of all evil. That science and technology are going to solve everything. That we're all going to ultimately self-actualize, right? And yet all it took was one little virus to show us that our love and our worship of progress is in fact vulnerable, that we are profoundly fragile and vulnerable creatures, that life as it actually is on this fallen planet always leads to death. And you can't buy enough toys and pop enough pills to numb yourself to that reality. So there's a psychoanalyst named Erica Cosimore, and she had an article recently in the Wall Street Journal where she was asked by people, how do you talk to your kids about death? Especially if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in heaven or God, what do you say to your children when someone they know and love dies? And you know what her answer was? Lie to them. Seriously. She said, now maybe as an adult, you can handle a worldview where you're a cosmic accident, your life has no real meaning, and you're just going back to dust. But kids can't handle that. In a world of school violence and broken families and dire predictions of global warning, they need to believe there's something after death. So, lie to them. And shouldn't that answer just expose the vapidness and the emptiness of a worldview that can offer you no hope in the face of the one reality you cannot escape. We're going to die. So what do you do when you're trying to build your bridge to a future and it's going to crumble before the one reality you cannot change? That's where those two guys on that road were. They had hoped. And once again, death had eroded everything. You see, none of the earliest disciples was expecting a resurrection. Their hope was in the past tense. They weren't looking for Jesus. Oh, but thank God. Jesus came looking for them. You you find the word hope a lot in the New Testament, but if you'll check, you'll find it almost always shows up after His resurrection. In a day when everything seems to be ramping up fear, Easter is a reason to ramp up hope. Let me share with you why the Christian worldview on a day like this, in a time like this, can preach a word of hope. And the first reason is because hope has a why. And the women that went to the tomb in one of the Gospels, it says an angel was there and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Well, the truth is they weren't seeking the living among the dead. They were seeking the dead among the dead. Jesus was dead. They had hoped. Nobody was looking for no body. And here's why that's a big deal. So these same disciples would launch a movement that would go into all the world. Why? Not because they admired Jesus so much as a noble gentle, courageous, moral ethicist who was dead. 
No, something happened. They did what they did because they believe that Jesus did what no one has ever done. He came back from the dead. And this is what they preached. The very first gospel sermon is recorded in Acts chapter 2 by a man named Peter. And here was his main point. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. They didn't just preach an ethical principle. They preached an historical event. Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. Their hope had a why. And remember, they preached this in the one place at the one time when it should have been easiest to disprove it, and no one could. And 2,000 years later, no one can. Now, you can disbelieve in the resurrection of Jesus, but you cannot disprove it. And I know I'm talking to some people right now that are rather skeptical about the claim of Jesus' resurrection. I understand that. But I would challenge you. Christianity invites rigorous investigation. Do your homework. Look at the evidence. Come to your own conclusion. And know that many who were not believing did exactly that. And they came to the profound conclusion. The best answer for what happened is this. Jesus Christ came back from the dead. That hope has a why and so they went into all the world and they risked so much because they wanted everyone to believe this not a symbol but an event in fact christianity stands or falls on the veracity of the why that jesus christ has conquered death so about 10 years ago there was a man well known named christopher hitchens he was an atheist. He wrote a book, God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. Here's his picture. I actually did try to find one of him smiling, and I couldn't. But Christopher Hitchens was being interviewed by a Unitarian minister in Oregon back in 2009. Now, the Unitarian faith is a very liberal faith. It doesn't accept miracles. It doesn't accept the atonement or the resurrection of Christ. And this female minister was interviewing Hitchens and said, Now, I'm not one of those fundamentalist Christians. I don't believe in the atonement. I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So do you feel different about me as a Christian? And his answer was, if you don't believe that Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah, if you don't believe he rose from the dead, if you don't believe he died to forgive you of your sins, then you cannot consider yourself to be a Christian in any meaningful way at all. Here's what Paul said in Romans 1. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. That Christianity is bogus if this is not true. That Jesus Christ has conquered death, which means we can conquer death. And if you know you will live after you die, it will change everything about the way you live before you die. You see, Christian hope was, and it is, the how. And here's what I mean. For 2,000 years, these Christians have lived with nobility and courage and resilience. Why? In face of immense martyrdom, persecution, torture, then and now. Why? Hope is the how. So, all of us remember the very first 
Star Wars movies. There were three of them, which don't get me confused. They were actually four, five, and six, but they were one, two, and three. And they finally, 30 years later, finished the series with seven, eight, and nine, which were not as good as the first three. And don't you say they were. My spirit will come through this camera and rebuke you in your room right now. But in the eighth film, they have this Sith Lord named Snoke. I have a picture of him here. And he's talking to the son of Han Solo and Princess Leia, Kylo Ren, who has gone out and he thinks he has crushed the rebellion. And Snoke rebukes him with this line. Skywalker lives. The son of the Jedi lives. And as long as he lives, hope exists. You see, because Jesus lives. Hope exists. We believe everything that happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. And what we believe about the reality of our future victory affects how we handle the realities of our current struggles. Now, this came uh, to me just recently because I am so ready for some real sports. I would watch middle school ping pong right now if they would just put some live sports on TV. So I'm flipping through and I come to the Longhorn Channel and they are playing the 2005 Rose Bowl when the Longhorns won the national championship, which they play over and over because let's be honest, Longhorn fans, that's the only thing in 15 years you've had to celebrate. Don't you send me an email, you know it's true. Now I watched that game. One of the greatest football games I've ever watched. I was rooting for the Longhorns, and they're behind the whole game. I'm tense. It's terrible. And in the last minute, Vince Young pulls it out, and they win. I watched the game this time. I'm not tense. I'm not nervous. Why? I know who's going to win. I know who's going to achieve victory. You see, if you really do believe, it doesn't get any better than this. Do you understand your worldview has no place for suffering? Suffering has no meaning. Suffering has no purpose. There's only one thing to do with suffering, and that's remove it. And if you can't remove it, then you are in the we had hoped road. But what if it does get better than this? And then suffering can be redeemed, even if it can't be removed. I think a lot of people don't know this about the very first Christians. They live with pandemics. In the early centuries of the church, there were three huge pandemics. In, in 260, for example, there was a pandemic over 15 years that wiped out about a third of the Roman Empire. They think it was probably smallpox. But here's the amazing thing about that. When everybody was running away from the cities and running away from the sick, the Christians were running toward the sick. In fact, historians say they believe what ultimately caused Christianity to become the religion of the empire was the way Christians could handle pandemics. I want to read to you from Dionysius. He was the bishop of Alexandria, a city in northern Africa, about the pandemic in 260 AD. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another, heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Did you hear what I just read? The early Christians ran toward the pandemic and the way they cared for the sick 
made a profound impact. Why? Their hope was their how? Because they knew that death does not have the last word. They didn't just proclaim the resurrection. They applied the resurrection. Okay, Easter wasn't just a day. Easter was a way to live every day. Look at how Peter put it in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So now we live with great expectation. You see, folks, it gets better than this. We're living in the direction of our own resurrection. And that's why we keep our hopes up. So there's this little fish down in South America that they call four eyes, and here's why. The fish swims along the surface of the water, and he's got these big eyes. And the amazing thing is the top half of the eye has an air lens, and the bottom half has a water lens, and so the fish can look in the upper world and the lower world at the same time. And by faith, we can too. By faith, we can see this world, and we can see the next world. That's why I'm so excited about what we're going to start preaching next week. I'm going to do some sermons on heaven and what it means to keep our hopes up. I'm going to call the series, Home is Coming. And you don't want to miss it. Because when you know who wins, it changes how you live. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Look at what the scripture says about him. Through Christ, you've come to trust in God. And you've been placed your hope and your faith in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't point toward the grave and say, hey, hope for the best. Jesus entered the grave. He conquered the grave. And Jesus said, hope in me and that's what I want you to hear most of all yes our hope has a why yes our hope is the how but most of all hope is a who you see the only answer for had hoped is a person think about it if your hope is a what your disappointment is inevitable isn't that what we're experiencing right now? If your hope was a 401k, if your hope is in your health, if your hope is in your career and your job and your status in a community that you can't even be around right now, and that's the problem with what hope. All it takes is one virus, and there's always going to be a virus to shatter it. My hope is not in a what. It is Easter Sunday. And I might be preaching in an empty room, but I am full of hope because my hope is in a who. And I'm not implying that I wear this silly little face all the time. I'm not implying that if you follow Jesus, you never mourn and you never hurt and you never get scarred as you do life on this fallen planet. Here's what I do believe, that because of our hope, 
we trust in a Savior that understands our suffering. That we trust in a Savior who is actually with us in our suffering. That we're trusted in a Savior that can bring meaning and even good out of our suffering. And maybe most of all, it means that one day we believe He is going to put an end to all our suffering. Listen again to Brother Paul. He wrote to the Thessalonian church. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a foreshadowing of what God has in store for all of us who believe. And so I want to go back and talk for a moment about Christopher Hitchens. You see, he was diagnosed with incurable cancer. What he was doing at the time was he was going across America doing speaking tours and having debates with Christians. And he was introduced to a man named Larry Taunton, who was a Christian, who would take him to these different debates. And they became friends. In fact, Christopher Hitchens would stay in Larry's home. And Christopher Hitchens knows he's dying. And they're in the car driving to one of these debates. And Christopher is reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And he gets to verse 25 and 26 where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not die, but they will live. And then he's reading from the King James where Jesus says to Martha, Believest thou this? And with a note of sarcasm, he turned and said to Larry, Believest thou this, Larry Taunton? And Larry turned and said, You know that I do. But the real issue is, believest thou this, Christopher Hitchens? And he said Hitchens got quiet and somber, and in a moment of unusual transparency, he said, I'll admit that it is not without appeal to a dying man. Hope is a who. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And Jesus has changed the tense of the verb. And that changes everything. I know that our hope has not yet fully been realized, even though it is truly real. I know that we haven't met the end of the story, but we know what, how the story ends, and it changes how we live the chapters in the middle. Here's what I'm saying, that nothing is stronger than hope in the future tense. That's what we declare on Easter. Yes, life is hard right now, and we limp for a season. But we limp with joy and with grace and with resilience. We will finish strong because we know that when we get to the end of the race, we're not really finished. 
And so I want to close by reading an obituary. It was actually written by a man named Ken Fusen, who passed away in January of this year. He wrote his own obituary, and I want to share what he wrote with you. Ken Fusen was born June 23, 1956, and he died June 3, 2020, at Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha of liver cirrhosis. He's stunned to learn that the world is somehow able to go on without him. Ken grew up in Granger, Indiana, and decided when he was a sophomore at Woodward Granger High School that he wanted to be a newspaper reporter. He attended the University of Missouri's famous school of journalism, which is a clever way of saying almost graduated but didn't. In 1981, Ken landed his dream job working as a reporter for the Des Moines Register. In 1996, Ken took the principal stand of leaving the Register because the Sun in Baltimore offered him more money. Three years later, having blown most of that money at Pimlico Racetrack, he returned to the register, where he remained until 2008. In his newspaper work, Ken won several national feature writing awards. No, he didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but he's dead now, so get off his back. There are those who would suggest that becoming a freelance writer in the midst of the worst recession since the Great Depression was not a wise choice, but Ken was never one to be guided by wisdom. He was diagnosed with liver disease at the beginning of 2019, which is pretty ironic given how little he drank. Eat your fruit and vegetables, kids. For most of his life, Ken suffered from compulsive gambling addiction that nearly destroyed him. But his church friends and the loving people at Gamblers Anonymous never gave up on him. Ken last placed a bet on September 5, 2009. He died clean. He hopes that anyone who needs help will seek it, which is hard, and accept it, which is even harder. Miracles abound. Ken's pastor says God can work miracles for you and through you. Skepticism may be cool, and for too many years, Ken embraced it. But it was faith in Jesus Christ that transformed his life. It's the one thing he never regretted. It changed everything. Ken had many character flaws. If he still owes you money, he's sincerely sorry, but he'd like to think that he had a good sense of humor and a deep compassion for others. He prided himself on letting other drivers cut in line. He would give you the shirt off his back, even with the ever-present food stain. Thank goodness nobody asked. It wouldn't have been pretty. In lieu of flowers, Ken asked that everyone wear black armbands and wail in public during a one-year grieving period. If that doesn't work, how about donating a book to the public library in Granger? Yes, this obituary is probably too long. Ken always wrote too long. But God is good. Embrace every moment, even the bad ones. See you in heaven. Ken promises to let you cut in line. Now here's the thing. If you're ever going to write your own obituary, you're not going to say, I made straight A's all the time. I hope you can say what Ken said. God is good. Faith in Jesus Christ has transformed my life. See you in heaven. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And the important thing is not where you hear the news, but where you look after you've heard it. And so, dear friend, get your hopes up. I want to pray over you. And I want to pray a prayer from Paul the Apostle. I pray that God 
the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I do pray this prayer, that all listening to me right now will find real hope, not had hoped for, but do hope in hope. Hope in Jesus, who is raised from the dead. And who didn't just come back from the grave, but is coming back for us. Thank you, Jesus. Please come quickly. Amen.